If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to continue our series uh, through the book of 1 Peter. Our text today is uh, a paragraph in a larger conversation. There, and as we have discussed, Christ's call to all believers is to live lives of humble submission. It's kind of how we summarized what we've talked about the last several weeks, to live lives of humble submission and humble submission to God and to those he puts over us. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about government and our role there. And today we'll look at the roles of servants and masters. And I want you to hear this church, no one, no Christ follower is exempt from that command to live lives of humble submission. God has established the world with order and an authority structure. And as his followers, we willingly submit to that structure. Whether you're a citizen, a servant, a wife, a child, a church member, we all have someone we must submit to. And that's where the text goes, just down a list of circumstances and how you would best humbly submit in that circumstance. So let's look back before we jump into our text for today. Let's look back a couple of verses to the clearest command of what our lives should look like from Peter. So these are the verses he, he presents to us right before he discusses the certain circumstances. And these verses summarize all the circumstances. So no matter what circumstance you fall into, this should be true of you. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the summary to all of us, no matter who you submit to, no matter where you fall in some order or pecking order or system, your command is to live honorable lives that represent God well. So he says in these two verses, don't allow your fleshly passions to dictate how you live. So we can't just allow what we want, our passions, our desires. We can't let that just dictate everything. We've got to be willing to submit to God and allow our lives to live, to be characterized as this word, honorable. That's what's most important, honorable. Are the decisions you made this past week honorable, how you lived? Would your coworkers, would your boss, would your spouse, would your neighbors, would they define the, the way you lived last week as honorable? Or would they say fleshly passions? That's kind of what he's asking in these two verses. Which way did you live this week? To fulfill your fleshly passions or were they honorable? And then he defines honorable a little bit more. He says, an honorable lifestyle would be filled with good deeds. It would be criticism proof. So then when they try to speak evil against you, they can't find anything. And that the way you lived would create amazement for God. 
So how you live would somehow create a conversation about someone more important than you. Like, man, how were you able to do that? How did you live that way? Why were you able to live according to those? Man, you must, you must believe in God. You must be a God follower, right? However we live, it would be categorized as honorable, filled with good de deeds, criticism proof, and would somehow create amazement for God. How'd you do this past week, church? How did you live? How did you conduct yourself? Maybe a moment of self-reflection. Was your life honorable this week or was it fleshly passions? It's kind of what he's gonna talk about as we go into our text today when he's specifically speaking about the role of servants and masters. Our paragraph this week is specifically discussing a role, one role. But before we look at this specifics about this relationship between servants and masters, let's make sure we're all on the same page when it comes to some possibilities of misunderstanding. This is a tricky text. It brings up a lot of hot button issues, hot topics that could possibly come up. Whenever the Bible addresses certain topics, you could find a million blog posts that just criticize the Bible for some things. So I just wanna bring them up, address them, so that we not only know what Peter thinks of these topics, but the Bible as a whole. So we'll look at the, just the entirety of the scriptures and see how do we see these topics addressed. So the hot button topics that usually come up in a text like this are these. Slavery, what does the Bible have to say about slavery? Abuse, what does the Bible say about abuse? And then rebellion. What does the Bible talk about this? Is it consistent with how we ought to live or as Christ followers? Like what is the Old Testament? How does it address these things? So I don't have a, that would be an entire sermon, but I only have a few minutes to kind of walk you through these quickly. So let's say, the, what does the Bible have to say about slavery? Please know that Peter, the apostles, the New Testament teaching, Jesus and the entirety of, uh, entirety of the Bible nowhere endorses slavery. It actually defines slavery as this, as stealing people and selling them as property. So taking someone, calling them property, selling them to someone, and then puts into two categories. So there's the individual who sells a slave and there's the individual who owns a slave. And both of those individuals are, are um, called out in, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. It says this, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So therefore the scriptures do not condone slavery. So what you see in this text, when it refers to servants, it's describing a current situation, something that is in existence. It's not endorsing it, it's not condoning it, it's not telling us to go get servants or slaves, it's just describing a situation. It's really interesting as I was studying it, uh, if you have the ESV, it uses the word servant. And the Greek word for this servant is, is a very specific type of servant, which I think is interesting. It's considered to be a household servant. And this is a specific type of servant. It's a servant who lives in the same house with their master, probably whose duties are primarily restricted to the household. So they live in the home with the master and their responsibilities are mainly inside. And then if you do a little bit more digging, you can kind of see how that individual got to that position. And it could have been multiple ways, but through war, maybe they lost rights to their own property and had to find a property somewhere else or a place to live. It could have been through poverty, 
They lost everything. They no longer had the means to take care of their life or their possessions. And they, need, they fell into a position where they, being a servant was better than nothing. Or, or they could have been born into slavery. So their parents were slaves or servants and they just kind of continued to go with that position. So although this situation wouldn't have been ideal for anybody, in most cases, it wasn't as bad as it could be. This is the specific example that uh, Peter's using. He's, he's discussing the role of a household servant. Many of these servants were treated well. They could earn money or they could eventually earn their freedom. So we're not describing, at least in our text, what comes to your mind many times when we hear the word slavery of someone he ripped out of their home, turned into a possession and sold to make a profit. This isn't the situation that's addressed in 1 Peter chapter two. And so there's no condoning of this slavery that our minds come to when we come to a text like this. It's interesting too, though. I think this is interesting. It's interesting that Peter even mentions them. And by Peter mentioning them, he values them. I love that. Peter's walking through who would have been in these churches. This was a circular letter that would have been passed uh, through so that other people could read it and hear about it. And he specifically mentions these servants by, and gives them validity, gives them value and says, okay, uh, servants who are part of this local church, who are followers of Jesus Christ, here's how you ought to live. That would have been unique for that period of writing, that time period of writing for servants to be addressed in a formal letter by somebody of influence and importance. And so Peter is countercultural in the fact that he addresses them and gives them value and shares with them how they should live and um, conduct themselves. And Peter addresses the fact that some are being treated poorly. He doesn't overlook that. He doesn't ignore it. He brings a light to injustice as well. And he says, it's not right. It breaks my heart, but we need to obey as well. This fact of you being treated poorly breaks Peter's heart. The second hot button topic that comes up is probably abuse or the mistreatment of those lower than you on some hierarchy. And again, please know that this one's probably more obvious, but the Bible is not condoning this. And it's very easy to see because Peter calls this behavior unjust, which again would have been very bold for a first century writer to say that, for him to, in writing, knowing that this letter was gonna be passed, that's a bold statement for him to call it unjust because he doesn't know whose hands this letter is gonna fall into. And for probably many, they're like, what's unjust about that? Don't I have the freedom to treat this individual poorly and they're lower class society than me? I can, they're my property. No, Peter calls that out, says that's not how it ought to be. That's unjust. Your, your master should treat you well and take care of you. And when he doesn't, that's unjust. So again, first century Christians were actually countercultural in the fact that they treated people lower in the class system with dignity and respect. First century Christians were unique in that compared to the culture. You think about Jesus. Jesus many times in the gospels interacted with people that were lower in class maybe than him. And he always treated them with dignity and respect. One thing that that made people watch Jesus and made Jesus stand out was how he treated people in different 
classisms. And so to here we see no condemnation, uh, no endorsement, sorry, no endorsement for abuse or mistreatment. And the last topic that could come up is protests. So you see, is Peter here calling the, those that are oppressed to rise up and to pick up arms and, and attack their aggressors, or their oppressors so that they are no longer in this situation? And again, there's no endorsement of that at all. At all. Nowhere are we commanded to take up arms and fight those who oppress us. Actually, the complete opposite is true, is to submit to accept the role we've been handed and to live lives of, of dignity and respect. But there are a few verses, I think this is interesting before we dive into our text. There are a few verses throughout the Bible that encourage people to seek freedom, but it's never violent. Paul told slaves in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Like I'm not, I'm not endorsing unnecessary abuse or terrible lifestyle. If you can gain your freedom, do so. Jesus told his disciples when they're being persecuted to leave a town. If they're being persecuted in one place, flee to another in Matthew chapter 10. But it's never violently. It's never, man, if somebody's beating you, beat them back. It's never, if somebody's mistreating you, you should rise up and strike them before they can strike you again. It's always this idea of humble submission, understanding what, what, where God has called you to be. And we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more. Overall, the command to those under the authority of someone else is this. Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And that is a really hard command. I'm not just flippantly saying that and asking you to accept that. That's from the word of God to us. All of us should submit ourselves to our masters with all respect. Overall, our task as followers of Jesus is to represent Christ well, no matter what circumstance you are in. I think this is really interesting too, as I was studying uh, for this text all my, a lot of my cross-references would point me to a book in the New Testament that's completely about the role of slave and master. If you've not recently studied the book of Philemon, I really wanna encourage you this week for your devotions, would you study the book of Philemon? There's an entire book in the New Testament dedicated to the um, relationship between a master and a servant. And I wanna just briefly summarize it for you. Philemon is a master, he owns a slave. Again, it's not endorsed. That's not propped up as honorable, but that's the situation. Philemon is a slave owner and the slave is Onesimus. And Onesimus and Philemon have a, a falling out. We don't know what, we're not told what happened. We're not sure if Onesimus was, got violent or if he stole something, we're not told. But Onesimus flees, he runs away. He leaves his role of being a servant and he flees. And so he finds Peter, who's in a prison writing, and he gets uh, Paul, sorry, he meets Paul. And, he, and Paul's writing in a prison and he asks Paul for advice. And in a summary statement, here's how it goes. Paul tells Onesimus to go back. You know what you've been called to do, Onesimus? You know that God's in charge of all things, that God is sovereign over all things. Onesimus, you need to return, be obedient, humbly submit. That is unbelievably profound. And then he says to Philemon, Philemon, forgive. Treat Onesimus with respect. Forgive him, love him, take care of him. And now your job is to treat him like a brother. 
absolutely fascinating stuff on a better, a more descriptive understanding of the role between servant and master. So if you're a servant, submit, honor, respect, obey. And if you're a master, love, take care of, honor, cherish. And I think you'll see all those same ideas fleshed out in our verses today. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter two, let's read our text. 1 Peter chapter two, verses 18 through 21. Now that you have a little bit of context, it says this, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, uh, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. That's our text today. And today we uh, might have some in this room that are facing this very circumstance. It's very possible that as I read 18 to 21, you felt it internally. You're like, man, that's my situation. I feel that. I'm in that, uh, I'm in this circumstance very closely. It's possible that as we read that, it did not connect with you at all. It was very possible that it's like, man, that's not my circumstance. Those are usually flyover verses when I'm doing my Bible reading. I, I don't know how to relate to that. Well, if you today find yourself in that circumstance, my desire is that today's word, today's sermon would be an encouragement for you to endure. That's what you'll see is the end result of this. Endure the circumstances you're in and we'll see the power in order to do that. And today, if you're like, I don't find myself in that circumstance at all. My life's fairly good. My life's pretty easy. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. I don't have any great oppression in my life. My call to you today is I hope that today's sermon would be a, a way to prepare you because there's no guarantee that your life will stay as it is. It's very possible that this circumstance could be your reality soon. And so my hope is that you will prepare your mind, your thoughts, your actions, and your character for if this circumstance ever does become your reality. Allow this to prepare you for what could be the future. So today our, tech, our title is Christ's Call to Suffer. And even that title should make you shake a little bit. Christ's Call to Suffer. We're gonna see that that is part of it. And what we will see also is that in order to suffer well, it requires we embrace the mindset of Christ. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 is so amazing. It says this, for, to, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Peter points everything back to this entire ability to endure to the mind being mindful of God for keeping God front and center of your, your thoughts and your actions, making, meditating on God, understanding who he is when you're mindful of God. So today our outline will be three mindsets we must embrace in order to represent Christ well. We're gonna look at three mindsets today that we need in order to, uh, to represent Christ well, to live for him. How we as servants of Jesus Christ must think and therefore act. So if you find yourself in this category of people, how should you respond? Number one, 
The first mindset is respectful submission. That's what the, the command is in verse 18. The first thing we hear is the main command is to submit with respect. So we can't ignore that. Your role, your responsibility is to submit with respect. The word submit means to come underneath. It means to support, means to do what they say, accept your position, you understand your role, you understand their role and, and you accept it. You come underneath and you support them. The word respect is really interesting. Typically, I think when you and I think of the word respect, we think of the word admire. You'll say this sometimes, man, I really respect him or her. I really respect them. What you're really saying is I admire them. I wanna become like them. I wanna emulate them. That's not the word in our text. The word in our text, respect, means to revere, fear, and to be in awe of. So what he's not telling you to do is to love this person so much that you wanna become like them, to aspire to be like them, uh, to, to emulate them. He's not calling you to do that. What he is calling you to do is to respect the position, to revere the position, to fear the individual in that place because God has put him in that place. If he were to call you to love and admire and, and desire to become like that individual, that would be a hopeless request, wouldn't that? You'd just be like, I can't do that. That man has no character. That man has no integrity. There's no way I desire to be like him. That's not the command uh, to, to these servants in 1 Peter. It's to submit, to come underneath and respect the position. Understand that God has put them in that place. In possible ways, we disobey this. If you're anything like me, this is how I, dis this is how I disobey these commands. We, many times we don't submit, right? We refuse to come underneath. You kind of give the acknowledgement that you're submitting. You maybe act like you're submitting, but in reality, you're disobeying you're cheating, you're lying, you're cutting corners. Any way that you can kind of shave off what you're supposed to do, you do, because you don't want to submit. So they tell you what to do and you're like, ah, but I'm not, ah, I fudge on that a little bit. That's not a big deal. I'm just gonna kind of do whatever I want. As long as I don't get caught, they're fine. That's one way to disobey this, this uh, command. And the second one is by not respecting. And I'm sure you've been in this situation. Has there ever been somebody in your life that is above you and you hate them? Maybe you do what they say because you fear them, but you hate them and you wish ill upon them. You want to take them down. You hate the individual that God has placed in that position in your life. You speak evil of them. You gossip them. You plot ways to get rid of them. This hit home at all? That's ways we disobey this command. He tells them to respect, submit with respect. So again, we don't have to, we don't have to become like them. We don't have to admire their character, but we do have to humbly submit to them. This is a hard call. We are called to do both, submit and respect. And here's the key. Because we submit to God, we ought to be willing to submit to those he puts above us. That's why we submit, because we understand and we believe that that person is in that position by the will of God. And so I will humbly submit because I love God, not because I love that individual. So number one, respectful submission. 
The second mindset we ought to have is steadfast endurance. It's what our text tells us, to endure. Steadfast endurance, the idea of to keep going, face another day, be faithful. Endure literally means to face and withstand with courage. It's that idea of looking at, your, at the day head on, knowing what you're gonna have and, and going through it, understanding it's gonna be difficult and with courage embracing the next day. And this call to endure, to keep going, it seems like a devastating request. If you've ever been in that position, if you've ever been in a really hard situation where to get up tomorrow morning and to endure what you endured yesterday is what's been called, what you've been called to do, that is devastating. I've been in some form of that. And to think like tomorrow I gotta do all of this again, that is devastating. You are right. Unless there's a power in place that will give you the strength you need to do this. I think of our kids that have about a week left of school and it's all finals. They're like, I gotta go back tomorrow and endure this one more day. God, give me strength. And you're gonna see that exact reality here is there's more to endure and a strength to allow you to endure that God will give you. He's gonna tell us to endure, to keep going. And this call to endure, keep going, seems devastating, but he's gonna tell us how we can do it. And it's the graciousness of God. The graciousness of God is what will allow you to endure. Look at verse 19, he says this, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He says it again in verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He's telling you that when you face difficulty and you endure, that enduring is a gift, that God will allow you to do something that seems impossible. God will allow you to keep going when you can't. God will pour out his strength upon you, his love upon you to help you to do something that's devastating, that's so difficult. I get to do membership class and so I get to interact with people who have come from a lot of faith traditions. Uh, and so I'm curious if any of you grew up in like the, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but if, if you grew up in either the Presbyterian or the Lutheran tradition, they use a term that we don't use very often, but I really like, if I could be honest for a moment. Pastor Todd calls me a closet Presbyterian. And what, what I think I mean by that is I, I admire a lot of the Presbyterians. They use this phrase called a means of grace. Have you ever heard that before? A means of grace. Some Christian traditions refer to baptism and communion as a means of grace. It's a moment where you experience the love and kindness of God. Peter here refers to this illustration as a means of grace, similar to baptism and communion. Just that baptism and communion is this amazing moment where some of our faith traditions say that it's at your baptism where God pours out grace upon you or you feel his grace or you experience his grace. Same with communion. When you take these elements, you feel the grace of God. You experience the grace of God. There's an outpouring of his grace upon you. Peter says that same thing happens when you endure. That same outpouring of God's grace is happening when you suffer unjustly. When you do good, you're mistreated and you have to endure. That endurance 
is a gracious thing from God. He pours out his love upon you in that moment in order to give you the ability to do something you can't do. Isn't that incredible? That's absolutely amazing. That moment when you endure while suffering unjustly, in that moment, God will allow you to experience his love and kindness. That moment, which ought to be a terrible trauma-creating moment, that suffering, that injustice, it won't be. But rather, that very moment will be a grace-filled, kind, loving moment where you experience the goodness of God. Amazing that in your worst earthly experience, it could actually be a God-glorifying moment. That's what he tells us is true about this injustice, this suffering. You could actually experience the love of God. Another book recommendation I wanna give you is Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've ever read this, but it's literally a big book that tells the story of Christians who were killed for their faith. And it's story after story about people who love God and were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. And it's profound because a lot of the stories end with this person being tortured and, and going through a terrible experience, terrible pain. But in that very moment, they're experiencing joy. They're stories of Christians, our brothers and sisters, who are burned at the stake while singing hymns, while praying to God. How are they able to do that? The grace of God. Think of our, our, uh, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is having rocks thrown at his head and he says, Father, forgive them. How is Stephen able to keep his head? How is he able to remain calm? It's in that terrible moment, the grace of God is being poured out upon him. That's how you can endure because God will give you what you need to be sustained, to continue on. Peter is saying that this isn't an impossible request to endure because God will give you the ability to endure. It isn't something that is all up to you to produce. So you can wake up tomorrow and face another difficult day if you believe that God is gracious to you and he loves you and he wants your, your best. The third mindset is willful acceptance of your calling. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, he says this, for this you have been called. And what does he mean by that? To endure mistreatment. You've been called to this. Being a Christian is not easy. It's, you've never been told that. No one ever promised you, just become a Christian, all your problems will go away. No, actually the opposite is true. For to this you have been called. To be a Christian means mistreatment. It will happen. And then he says later in verse 21, so that you might follow in his steps. Uh, understand this, have this be your mindset that you have to willfully accept your position, what God has called you to do. For to this you have been called so that you might follow in his steps. Church, my challenge to you today is to accept the role God has assigned you. It's interesting, Peter and Paul both say things like this. Peter and Paul both believed that your circumstance in life was not a result of choices you made, but rather it was a providential assignment. 
Isn't that interesting? Many times we look at our life, we think of the circumstances we're in and we can kind of trace it back. Well, if I wouldn't have done this, if I wouldn't have done this, if I wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't be facing this. But Peter and Paul both say, maybe you should view your current circumstances as a providential assignment from God. And therefore in your assignment, represent Jesus well. He's placed you around certain people who need to see the goodness of God, the character of God. So you can accept that and do that for his honor and glory. All right, with this list up here, I want you to do a moment of self-reflection. I wonder which of these three mindsets is the most difficult for you. Again, I don't know your current circumstances, but typically one of these three is a weakness. We're just not great at submitting. It's just kind of who we are. Which one of these three is your greatest weakness? Maybe it's number one. I can't and I won't respect the, per the person in the position over me. I can't, I won't, they're a jerk, I hate them, I want them to die. Like I just, that's who I am. Anybody who's an oppressor over me, anybody who's in a position over me, I just hate. I wanna be number one, I wanna be in charge. And if I'm not in charge, I'm mad. Maybe that's you, maybe that's your weakness. Number two, I can't endure another day. Travis, I'm done. If my circumstances don't change, I'm done. I can't endure. I'm, done. I'm, I'm at my wit's end. Something's gotta change. I have no ability to endure another day. Sometimes we refer to those people as like a weak spirit and that's an absolutely real thing. The third one, I can't and I won't accept my position. What God has called me to, I hate. I don't wanna be this level. I don't wanna have this job. I don't wanna be assigned to this. I'm mad that I'm not higher. I'm mad that I'm not, I don't accept the current position I'm in, I'm mad. All of us probably have one of these three areas that just is not easy for us to do. And again, I don't know your circumstance, but self-identify that and spend some time today praying and wrestling with God and say, God, help me represent you better. God, would you teach me to do these better? I wanna have your mindset. I wanna think of you all the time. I wanna humbly submit to what you've called me to do. God, will you help me to do this one better? I'm really struggling with this. I'm not good at this. Followers of Jesus will be faithful in their social responsibilities. They will be. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to exiles and strangers. That's who this whole book is written to, people who are outcasts people who aren't welcomed. And he's telling them how they should endure and how they should live. Just a few biblical examples that you could study this week if you want to. The first is Paul. As you know, Paul comes to faith and for a lot of Paul's life, it's difficult. Paul spends a lot of time in jail. And if you study and you read about his time in jail, he's always humbly submissive to it. You never see Paul trying to figure out how to get out of jail. You never see him make, starting a coup. You never see him you know, making a shiv and trying to find his way out. He's always humble in his position there. Now, there are times he gets out of jail, the gates fly open, right? God miraculously provides him a way out. But if you study the life of Paul, he's always accepting of the role he's been given. He just knows God's in charge. God must understand that I'm better off in prison than anywhere else, I will humbly submit. The second one there is of Onesimus. As you study Philemon, you'll see Onesimus. 
Onesimus responds terribly at the beginning and really well at the end. Paul tells him, go back, humble yourself, submit, do what God's called you to do, and he does. Willful submission after being reprimanded. And the third one is Jesus himself. Jesus willingly submits in the Garden of Gethsemane to the will of the Father. He sets anything else aside and says, I will obey. You have called me to a life of hardship. You have called me to a life of suffering. I willfully accept. Your ways is better than any other way. God, I will, I will submit even to enduring injustice. So why suffer injustice, church? Because it honors the Lord. Whew, even saying that sentence is hard. Why suffer injustice? Because it honors the Lord. Our honorable conduct shines brightest in the midst of difficult circumstances. Steadfastness in the midst of terrible suffering somehow points to an awesome, powerful God. He tells us that two times, the graciousness of God will be given to you. I want you to, as you kind of pull this all together and end our lesson today, I wanna give you three questions. So consider your first, your circumstance, whatever circumstance you're in. I wanna give you just three questions to ask about your current circumstances because this will help you understand your role and how to do this. So the three questions I want you to ask about your current circumstances are this. Is my circumstance allowing me to see the graciousness of God? If you're struggling with your current circumstances, how to honor God with your life, how to be humbly submissive, here's great questions to ask. Number one, is my circumstance allowing me to see the graciousness of God? Because it's possible, right? That's exactly what he said. It's in those moments of enduring where you'll see the graciousness of God. So maybe for, the, for, your, for your good, it's better for you to endure your current circumstances because in it, you are experiencing the, the graciousness of God. Number two, is my circumstance allowing me to show the character of God? By me enduring mistreatment, by me living an honorable lifestyle in the midst of suffering and difficulty, is that displaying to those I'm around, my neighbors, my coworkers, is that displaying to, to them the character of God? And if it is, then we will gladly endure. And then the third one, is my circumstance allowing me to follow the footsteps of God? He said that, so to this you have been called. Jesus told his disciples, follow me, take up your cross. He told his disciples, you will be hated for my sake. Very normal in the Christian life is persecution. We should not be surprised by persecution, but when it comes, we should endure. I was asking myself this question this week, and maybe it's a helpful question for you to consider too. I wonder, I don't have an answer to this. I wonder if I live to 80 plus years, and I never suffer for my faith. Did I do it right? Was I as bold as I ought to have been? Was I a proclaimer of the gospel as loudly as I should have been? I just hit 40 this year. Gotta admit that up front. And so I've got 40 more years and the first 40 were pretty easy. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've not suffered much for the sake of Jesus. So I'm curious 
Should the next 40 be harder? A very normal thing for being a Christian is suffering. So if I get to 80 plus years and I've never suffered for the name of Jesus, I'm not sure I'm doing it right. Maybe I, I don't know. You guys can wrestle with that, think about that. That's kind of, kind of hitting me because Christianity is not an easy road. Remember, whatever circumstance you are in right now, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake. God has allowed you to be in this position to teach you more about his graciousness and to teach others more about God's graciousness. So let me summarize this all into a take-home uh, mindset, if you will. I think this will help boil it all down for you. My unjust suffering may be a means of grace to me and a picture of grace to others. So that current hard circumstance you're facing, is it possible that that circumstance is actually a really good thing? It's a means of grace to you. You get to experience the love of God and it's a picture of grace to others. They get to see the character of God. And if it is, would any of us say no to that? Would any of us not willingly wake up tomorrow and face it if we knew that it was this? So whatever current circumstance you're facing, ask this question. Is it possible it's a means of grace to me and a picture of grace to others? And if it is, gladly say yes. For the sake of God and his, his character and the, his fame, I will gladly I will gladly endure. Yes, I will suffer for that. So church, are you willing to embrace the position God has currently placed you in? And are you ready to suffer well for his name's sake?